Who likes the water? Yeah, who likes the sea? Woo! <laughs> we had a beach day yesterday, so that's why a few of us are looking a bit pink, feeling a bit crispy this morning. Uh, we went down to Joss Bay in Kent. It was a beautiful day. Sun was shining. The sea was so calm and so lovely. Uh, and I hope a wonderful time was had by all. Uh, yeah, but perhaps we've also had experiences with water that haven't been quite so calm and quite so tranquil. I've got a picture. Here I am, living my best life. <laughs> uh, this is Victoria Falls. Uh, I'm on the Zambezi River, uh, right on the border of Zambia and Zimbabwe. I looked this up, but five million liters of water per minute go over the edge of this waterfall. Uh, an edge I'd like to point out that I'm just sitting a mere few feet away from. <laughs> uh, and as those five million uh, liters of water travel over the edge of the floor, they plunge 100 meters uh, to the gorge below. Apparently, the spray from these falls can be seen for 20 kilometers. Am I smiling? Am I grimacing? <laughs> who can tell? Uh, the man who took the picture wanted me to raise my hands in the air and be like, woohoo! I was like, nah, yeah, you're right, mate. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to this little rock as tightly as I can uh, in this middle of the raging torrent. And so this is an image I want you to hold in your mind as we turn to look at Habakkuk chapter 3 this morning, this image of chaotic waters. Uh, I don't know if you know, but in ancient uh, Near Eastern mythology, forces of chaos in the world are often depicted as chaotic waters. Uh, and the biblical prophets and poets will often pick on this image, pick up on this image of chaotic waters, and use it when they talk about God of Israel as the one who has the power over the waters and the rivers and the sea. And this becomes a hugely important pattern that repeats throughout the Bible. Uh, it's a pattern that kind of, once you notice it, is hard to unsee. Again and again through scripture, we're given an image of God bringing humanity through chaotic waters uh, into a new land, into dry, uh, dry land. So if you, if you look in your Bibles on the first page of Genesis, we'll see that God uh, separates the dark chaotic waters and dry land emerges uh, as a home for humans to flourish. God is the one who brought order. God separated the dry lands from the chaotic waters. Therefore, God is also the one with the power and authority to do the reverse. Uh, God is also the one with the power to bring decreation order. So, when we read about God confronting the forces of chaos and disorder, when God confronts evil, when God brings justice to Judah's corruption and the violent nations around them, uh, he hands them over to destruction, to the consequences of their corruption and violence. It's as if creation itself has come unglued. God is no longer holding back the chaotic waters, and so they crash down on themselves, on the forces of chaos and disorder, and it's like the cosmos disintegrates. It's, well, it's apocalyptic. And I know apocalypse is a loaded term in our culture, uh, but actually what it means is it's from the Greek, and it just means an unveiling or revealing. It's about suddenly seeing the true nature of something you couldn't see before. So here, in Habakkuk chapter 3, it's like God has pulled back the curtain to show Habakkuk what's really going on from God's perspective. A perspective that is outside time. One that looks at Israel's past, their present, and their future. And because it's an unveiling, it's a revelation of God's perspective, we get this epic cosmic imagery in this poem. Habakkuk describes the undoing of creation itself. The land dissolves into chaos and disorder. 
God has handed Jerusalem first and then the Babylonians over to the chaos and destruction, which is the ultimate end of their path of violent corruption. The imagery is big, it's bold, it's cinematic. It's like your classic disaster movie. Volcano in New York, earthquake in LA, hurricane in Hawaii, that kind of thing. The Holy One comes, his glory covers the heavens, his splendor is like the sunrise, rays of light flashing, plagues go before him, pestilence. He stood, the earth shakes, the nations tremble, mountains collapse. It's the end of the world. At least it's the end of Habakkuk's world. Jerusalem is conquered by the Babylonians. The Israelites are led off into exile. But because Habakkuk sees things from a divine perspective, sees Israel's past, present, and future, time itself kind of bends and blends, Habakkuk is able to cry out, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. In wrath, remember mercy. In our time, make them known. Repeat them in our day. And then Habakkuk gives us, the readers, this kind of mashup of the greatest hits of God acting in human history to bring justice. The flood, the exodus, all these stories are kind of dialed to 11 to the max. The flood, right? That's the story of Noah. Uh, It's where we would next encounter the theme of chaotic waters if we traced it through the biblical narrative after the creation account. God rescues a remnant of humanity, Noah and his family, uh, and he takes them through the chaotic waters of the flood so that they can step out again on dry land. The Exodus story, crossing the Red Sea famously, God saves his people from chaos and disorder, from destruction at the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians by leading them through the waters onto dry land. And the forces of chaos and disorder, Pharaoh and his armies, they're washed away. The chapter that immediately follows this story in the Bible is a poem, just like Habakkuk 3. We could call it a psalm. Uh, After after they cross the road, it's see Moses, Miriam, and the Israelites, they lift up their voices to worship Yahweh, to worship God. Uh, It's the first song recorded in scripture. The people express their joy and their gratitude and their thankfulness to God at being rescued from the forces of chaos and disorder. And this day, the day Pharaoh and his armies were defeated, becomes known to the Israelites as the day, the day of the Lord, a day when God acted in human history to bring justice. And the day of the Lord becomes an important phrase that's picked up on by the prophets. Habakkuk refers to it in chapter 3 as the day of calamity. Habakkuk is picking up on the story of God's victory over evil when he split the waters of the sea Habakkuk combines the story of the Red Sea with the plagues and the exodus with images of God depicted as a warrior from the song of Moses and Miriam that when they sang to the Lord after God defeated the Egyptian chariots and threw them into the sea. But instead of Pharaoh riding the chariot, it's God riding his chariot and all the earth and all the people are responding. The day of the Lord, the day of calamity has come. Just like Pharaoh was given over to destruction, given over to the natural outworking of his path of pride and arrogance, Jerusalem will also be given over to destruction in Habakkuk's day. Because when God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, he took them through the waters into a land where they could flourish. He invited them to become a nation of justice and generosity that would represent his character, God's character, to all the nations around them. This created a partnership one that the Israelites agreed to, but this partnership required that the Israelites gave their trust and their allegiance to God only. And the leaders, the priests, the kings, all led Israel astray. They broke their partnership with God 
through idolatry, through alliances with other nations and their gods, and by allowing injustice to the poor. Because of this broken partnership, all the curses Moses had outlined to the people uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 28 would be fulfilled. The people of Israel had been warned they could live in obedience to God and his commands and choose life. They could choose flourishing or they could choose death. And they chose to harden their hearts, and so they were given over to destruction as the chaotic waters of Babylon in exile crashed over them. Habakkuk knew, as he wrote this poem, that the fig tree and the grapevine would remain barren. There would be no food nor any livestock in the land as all the curses from Deuteronomy 28 overtook them. And yet, through the, though the chaotic waters raged around him, Habakkuk clung to the promise of covenant blessing that would come if Israel obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Even if Yahweh should unleash every curse at once, he still promised to stay faithful in the storm. The promise of God was that he would bring humanity through the chaotic waters into a new world. Because of that promise, the prophets hoped for a new exodus with a new king leading God's people forward into a new creation. Though the violent and chaotic nations raged all around them, the prophets saw things from God's perspective and saw how the events of their day fit into a bigger story of God's mission to bring down every violent and oppressive nation once and for all. And that brings us to Jesus. All four Gospels highlighted the story of Jesus going into the Jordan River. Jesus goes into the waters and he comes back out again. That's when God announces that Jesus is his son, his anointed one, a phrase Habakkuk uses in chapter 3. Jesus is the anointed one who will rescue the world from the chaos of our evil and our violence by going into death and out the other side. That's why baptism became such a big deal for Jesus' followers. It's about participating in this ancient pattern of going through the waters of death, about following Jesus into a new creation, dying to self so that we can truly live. Therefore, we are not a people that grieve without hope. Though our circumstances may not change, though calamity may come, though it is right and good to contend, to wrestle, to intercede, to lament at the state of the world, to mourn the ruthlessness and violence and corruption of Babylon, of every human empire, we look forward with a future hope. The day of the Lord is bad news if you're part of Babylon, but it's such good news if you're waiting for God's kingdom. Habakkuk was waiting with future hope for the overthrow of Babylon. He waited with hope for the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. But after Babylon, God's people still continue to suffer under the rule of a rotating caste of oppressive empires. In Jesus' day, that empire was Rome. But Jesus was able to see things from a divine perspective. See that behind every empire, the real enemy was a mysterious, unhuman evil. The same evil that lured Egypt, Israel, Babylon, Rome. Sin crouching at the door of our hearts, waiting to devour us. All of humanity has given in to evil's promise of power. This is what Jesus resisted alone in the wilderness. 
he resisted the temptation to exploit his power for his self-interest. After Jesus returned from the wilderness, he started to confront the effects of evil in people. He healed the sick. He freed the oppressed. He raised the dead. Jesus literally walked upon the water. Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. He had the same Genesis creative power to bring order to the chaotic waters. And Jesus started to tell his followers that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to go to Jerusalem for Passover, for a final confrontation with the evil that lay behind Rome and behind Israel. And there in Jerusalem, at Passover, Jesus allowed the wrath of Rome to fall on him, which should have fallen on Israel. Jesus deliberately allowed himself to be killed. And that became his victory. Jesus let evil exhaust all its power on him allowed evil to use its only real weapon, death, because Jesus knew that God's love and life were more powerful. Knew that he could overcome death by giving up his life in an act of self-giving love. And when Jesus defeated death, he opened the way for everyone to escape Babylon, to discover a new way of being human. And though the power of evil is still as real, and still as present in our day as in Habakkuk's, though we still keep building new versions of Babylon, God's kingdom will one day come to finally confront Babylon the Great, to deal with all the corrupt nations of the world. Jesus will one day put an end to all violence, all injustice, all evil. Because Jesus overcame with his blood when he died for his enemies on the cross. And so this morning we long for a new Jerusalem, one that is like a new Garden of Eden, where all humanity will live at peace with each other and the animals, where there is a new king who restores God's kingdom in a renewed creation. That's why at the end of the Bibles it says there's no longer any sea, because there is no longer any chaos, no longer any disorder, no longer any death. Everything sad comes untrue at the end of the story. And so we wait and long. And as we wait and long, we have a choice about how we respond to this story. We can be people co-opted into the systems of Babylon. We can follow the example of Pharaoh, follow the example of redefining good and evil for our own benefit, an example of cynicism, anger, of pride hardening our hearts and charging headlong into the chaotic waters of our own destruction. Or we follow the example of Jesus. We become a people who resist the temptation to seek our own self-interest, people of self-giving love. We can be a people whose calls to arms is a call to worship, people who rejoice in the storm, who praise though the waters rage around us, because we have a confident hope that we too will pass through the chaotic waters, because the one we follow has passed through the waters before us. Who likes a good backstory to an album? I've got a good one. King's Cross Church in London, uh, they wanted to release a live worship album. So they hired a couple of American producers who flew into London to be there at the live recording and produce the the album. And on the flight, one of the producers, uh, Andrew Jackson, he was only 29 years old, had a heart attack. And the plane makes an emergency landing at Heathrow. 
Andrews rush to the hospital. Top surgeons operate. The church rushes to the hospital to pray for Andrew, to pray for a miracle. But Andrew dies. Imagine the grief, the chaos, the confusion. And the next day, the other producer, Andrew's best mate, says, I think we still need to make this album. I still want to make this. So they agree to go ahead, and Andrew's parents fly from America to be there, the live recording uh, in central London. And as they're praying and worshipping, there are Andrew's parents making a choice. There, in their moment of grief, in their moment of very real pain, in the midst of their exhaustion, though they don't understand, they are choosing to praise God. Whatever your circumstances, even if nothing changes, we are called to be a people of praise. We are called to be a people that rejoice. Because we know the end of the story. We live by faith in the insurance that we will be led through the waters into a new world. So here's my plea this morning. Sometimes, when we're in the midst of the storms, we don't have the words to pray to God, the words to pray God. So, I would urge you to read the Psalms. We need that unveiling. We need to be able to look behind the curtain. We need to remind ourselves that it's okay to feel the forces of the torrent around us, but we still have a God who is in control of the very fabric of creation, who splits the chaotic waters. We have Jesus who went through all that we went through, who went through the chaotic waters and who came out the other side. So use the Psalms. Pray the words inspired by the Spirit of God back to God. This is how most Christians across most of the centuries have matured in prayer. This is how Jesus and his contemporaries and those before him prayed. Use the Psalms. The Apostle Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit being the word of God, and it is a weapon we are given to cleave through the chaos and disorder of the world around us. We need that sword of the Spirit, the word of God, to remind ourselves that God is who he says he is, and that God does what he says he does. It's nothing fancy. Is simply opening our Bibles to the Psalms and faithfully, regularly, sequentially, across a lifetime, reading the Psalms. And here's the testimony of the saints that slowly, faithfully, across a lifetime, deep will cry out to deep. Though the waters around us are up to our necks, God's presence is more powerful. His waterfall and breakers and waves will pass over us. His spring of eternal life will well up within us and flow out of us. Use God's words of prayer and praise. Use the tools we have been given. Use the words of lament and rejoicing. These words of prayer and praise. Use the experiences of wrestling and surrendering. Use God's word to put our trust and faith in him so that we can cry out like Habakkuk, O oh God, in wrath, remember mercy, so that we can fix our eyes on Jesus and step out of the boat as his spirit leads us through to dry land, as we learn to rejoice in the storm. Let's pray. The words of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in order of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plagues went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. 
he stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out, you scattered us gloating as though about to devour the wretch who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning up the great waves. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to overcome the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and the ca- no cattle in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. <laughs> 